I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, and welcome to series three of the Legacy Tapes, a series of podcasts exploring how to leave something lasting in the ephemeral medium of theatre. I'm Rebecca Atkinson-Lord, and today I'm talking with Anna Herman and Roisin McBrin, co-artistic directors of Clean Break. Clean Break's a company that was founded 40 years ago this year to make theatre for and with women who have experience of the criminal justice system. Um, hi. 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 Uh, you're celebrating 40, 40 years this year. That's right. And what does that feel like? How's that? It's really exciting. Um, it's is a really interesting point because it's coincided with Anna and I taking over as joint artistic directors, um, which led up or is currently but began with a real process of interrogation in terms of what we want to be moving forward. Mm -hmm. So there's something really healthy about the celebration of survival of 40 years, but also looking back as well at this moment. Um, I don't think about it every day, but... The other day, for instance, we had a meeting with our founders mm. and I was really struck by the great honour of holding this baton for however long that is, but that that is a result of the 40 years that have gone before. Yeah. And um, that's a wild thing. Mm. But we're also busy this year, which is fabulous. Mm-hmm. And there's something particular for us as a company that works, that has such a, a strong social justice kind of drive and mission as well that 40 years is about celebration but is also a real uh, reflection and, and acknowledgement of the lack of change where change has been where it hasn't what needs to happen why the need for the company still exists mm-hmm. kind of how women are still treated out there so it has a as a whole it's complex it's not just celebration it's celebration and um and kind of a real desire and drive to continue yeah. to regird your loins yes <laughs> yeah quite right and um, I was really um, I'm really interested in one of the things that you guys have done over the last year which is becoming co-artistic directors so that sort of the participatory and the I, I don't know how to phrase the, the non-participatory we called it artistic in the, education okay. so yeah. the artistic and education how those two things have fused and I think that's a really really exciting thing that a lot of companies make the mistake of not doing of keeping those things too separate for too long how has that how has that changed how you work it's been um i mean it's 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 a brilliant uh decision because it absolutely enables us to speak truer to the core of the company and to re-engage with with the history of the company being women Mm. who were prisoners who set the company up so it kind of places them at the centre of it but it it has taken a couple it has taken a lot of thought to bring it together because we had got to a point after kind of 35 years that mm. that there were these separate strands that were operating 
quite kind of having moments of conversation but also operating separately so it's it's a lot of conversation it's we've been really fantastic that inside bitch which is opening the royal court is is uh, this is exactly the right production to be signaling this change and mm. signaling this introduction uh, this kind of integration that's fantastic that that is with our members uh, mm-hmm. as, as the cast looking at representation of women with you know, in in a in a venue of of mainstream theatre profession, yeah. so it really is is symbolic of the of the strive. But there's a lot of conversation about what it really means, what it means for the women we work with, what it means for our artists, what it means for us. There's a lot of um, process mm. in it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's profoundly unstraightforward, <laughs> and audiences <laughs> in the picture of that are. Um, in some ways, one of the biggest challenges because we know, we know how to do it. We know, in a way, what it means mm-hmm. in terms of how we could realise it. But it's also then about going right. Who's this for? How do we make that? You know, our mission is to create work to change minds to mm-hmm. alter perception through what people are watching and experiencing. So, part of what we're trying to do in disbanding the education program and the artistic program but just making one program is also to talk to more people to produce more right. and then the form suddenly foregrounds mm-hmm. and I love that I think that's massively exciting about going from being a small theatre company that commissioned in a very kind of English way in that new writing format bringing mm-hmm. brilliant artists in our case let them come into the company by osmosis they feel, learn, be part of what is going on, but particularly glean as much as they can about the women's experiences and then go away and hopefully with a lot of love and help, but really on their own, write mm-hmm. and play and then we produce that with professional actors mm-hmm. we still want to do a little bit of that and we know that there's great value in what has come from that, but we also know that we're ready to do a lot lot more and that we also know our members it's not that they're all ready but that their voices are more valuable than we've allowed them to be in the past mm. while um, but yeah form is the challenging part and audiences from my perspective I think you know mm. about going the how of that is interesting mm. and also bringing different expertise into the role together but also sharing learning and and kind of you know we we want to break down the barriers of participatory yeah. and and professional work and so but but we do come through those trajectories so we have to do something new in the joint leadership of it that isn't about just speaking from the half we have to um really find collectively our shared vision for it which is what we yeah we do doing yeah yeah and it's it's such a challenging thing like because when I was uh, working at Oval House with Rachel Briscoe, we were a job share, and there were times when we would have stand-up rows about what we thought was the best thing, like really kind of, I mean, probably intellectually quite rigorous, um, but very dialectic, and yet that disagreement made what we were doing, and, and actually, you know, my love for Rachel, I love her dearly, so much stronger in kind of our ability to collaborate in a positive way. Do other things that you but heads on or what are the things that you have different opinions on and what are the things that you agree about 
Yeah, we definitely yeah. do. We're not great at butting heads, which I think we could probably get better at because then you, you know, if, it, if something explodes, then it just has to trickle down. Whereas yeah. if you keep on circling and circling, it can be more difficult. But that's part of what we're trying to do is learn how we work best yeah. together, you mm-hmm. know. But I have found personally that just the constant provocation or refocusing that Anna offers is brilliant and that, well, I'm trying to think about just, I think, I think that we agree a lot, which is one of the things. It goes back for me to that thing about form and audience actually, because ideology is one thing and then the realisation and the presentation and the reception is another thing and, and I think we are on the same page, do you think, in terms of ideology? Yeah, I think we are. I think we learn. I mean, I think there are moments where the the kind of priorities that we place on things have to find a, a, a shared nature of... Um, uh, we have to wrangle around how we meet those priorities. So... Um, and, and I often feel that I do bring history to that. I feel that I bring this kind of... I've been in the organisation a long year, a long time, 17 years, so I feel quite apprehensive about how much history and kind of rigidness mm. I can bring through that kind of lens. So yeah. I'm really conscious of that. Um, but I feel... And I... Yes, yeah, so I reflect a lot about my own contributions and how we work together and what I'm bringing to the table in terms of, of wanting to question where that comes from and whether that lives in our new model or whether that lives in, in, the, his, in, in the history. And that's really present for me. That's super interesting because I think most often, because I talk to lots of artistic directors who've just arrived or are just leaving, um, and, you've, and you guys have sort of just arrived, but also having well, you know, been here for yeah. 17 years. Uh, so I'm, I'm really curious what the things are in the legacy that you inherited that you feel like you have to carry with you, um, and what are the things, and, and want to carry with yeah. you, and what are the things that um, you would like to create anew yeah. for a legacy for the future. I think that's, for me, that's quite clear in the process of arriving here. So one of the things that I feel that I have to carry, but I don't have to in a way because it's shared in the moving forward, is about members and women's place in the heart of the organisation. Mm-hmm. And that was something that I felt I had to fight for historically, but absolutely in a way. We've made we've, we've said that's, that's, that's who we are. are. That's who we are. So that feels really exciting because that's something I'm carrying, but something that... The company is embracing mm-hmm. um, the things that we all. The things that I feel I probably carry are this kind of uh, the side. You know, I carry the silos in me, and and, and I think Rasheen's great in kind of pushing those away. The silos of the division between it used to yeah. definitely be members' program downstairs, artistic in the other room, like like that. You know, yeah. And we're really having to work differently across all everyone in the organisation about working across that and being much more flexible, much less rigid, much less. Um, kind of this is the way it works which is what again what we wanted so it's the well it's welcome but it's a it's that's a hard process if 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 you've worked within it I think one of the really really important things uh, I spent I spent a lot of time kind of writing pitches on how an organization should improve for various reasons Um, and I think that, that that sense of we've always done it like this, is the most poisonous thing yeah. like that's ever mm-hmm. there. And just, I guess just having someone who's like, but why? It's rubbish. Yeah. It's really, really good. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. 
And I think in that regard, I mean, I think it's a personality thing as well, but also like decade, a decade and a half of being freelance that I love a bit of mess. Like, you know, mm. I mean, I'm quite into, um, I, I don't hold on very strongly to the definites, if I'm honest with you, which can be annoying for people as well. But I think at this moment and change, you know, there's a resourcefulness in, in I think in theatre, and I've been a theatre director for, for years, and mm. I frequently think that like the rehearsal room, for instance, is better an organisation when it works well than any of these, this big, big or small, you know. Yeah. And I hold on to that quite a lot because there's high creativity in those spaces at best, but also at best you create a product that you really love. Mm. And I try and remember that mm. when I go, oh my God, this is insurmountable. How are we going to balance this budget? Or, oh my God, this is insurmountable. Anna and I are never going to find mm. an artist to commission together because no one can do what we're trying to do, which is do A and B and not call them either, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of legacy, and you were saying, you know what, I, we've just finished, um, or finished, we've signed off a book with Methuen to celebrate our 40th, which we're going to be, it's going to be launched in May. It's called Rebel Voices, mm -hmm. um, celebrating 40 years of, clean break 40 monologues for women by women and um it's full of monologues from the clean break canon mm. inclusive of voices from women in prison and our members and for me that legacy does definitely drive me in terms of i'm talking about the written word really but really what it does nod to is excellent theater mm -hmm. and work that moves you beyond and I, I hope that that's something that we bring to the future as well, you know. Mm -hmm. And it's also about female artists, that it's about women and the particular voice there and that space to be amazing, really, to be supported as artists and to be everything that you want to be, but particularly through this lens that there's an offer there that is really exceptional, I think, if you're interested in social justice, but if you're interested in the female voice and, and how that has been marginalised, you know. That's something that the anniversary feel that is something that the anniversary has enabled us to do is really is that stop and and look at the breadth of the work and think, wow, kind of see it in its entirety, mm -hmm. which is often not what we do, is it? We kind of look from no, project to project to you project. You do the thing in front you of you. Do the yeah, thing yeah. in front of you. So having this moment to look back and we've been uh, building a potentially a, a heritage lottery and archiving mm. project and that's been really uh, it's been a, a gorgeous opportunity to um, to to talk with the founders about uh, about the early days to look in our archives about those moments and and with Rajin doing the book and looking at it it feels really impactful and important and significant mm. and that is something to feel proud of and it's that alongside the everyday difference that we make to women who are come here on a day-to-day -day basis and feel safe in the space and learn in the space and, and are able to bring their creative selves to the space and tell us day-to-day -day that we've changed, you know, we're changing their lives. It's the com combination between those individual voices and then this beautiful 40 years of... of um, Endeavour. Really, yeah, Endeavour, amazing yeah. work. Engagement, yeah. yeah. That's what that's about, audience as well. Yeah. 
Um, Roisin, so uh, just now in my head I've created this false dichotomy of like history and innov- you know, like history and newness, oh, no. but that's nonsense. I'm just going to be <laughs> name that I'm doing that in the shape of this question, but I don't actually mean it at all. Um, I'm, I'm just curious as the person that sort of came in a bit later when you arrived, mm. um, I'm assuming you had like a bag full of all of your exciting ideas that mm. were going to happen. Mm. Um, I'm just really curious about how those ideas changed on encountering the organisation. And then how, because now you're at this sea change where you're changing the structure again, what the new bag of ideas is. And mm. um, I, yeah, it was a funny one because when I arrived first, I thought, oh God, I need to learn so much about the criminal justice system. And I started going to these seminars in, what's the place called, Anna? The Create, the Crime, Crime and Justice, the Centre for Crime Centre for Crime and Justice, which is great. Went to a couple of those read that book and this book and that. And then I sort of got to a point, not long into it, but having worked on the what was the education programme then, and just realised, oh no, there's not that much you need to know except for that it's shite and it doesn't work. Like, you know, and it's very disruptive. <laughs> yeah, it's broken. You know, it's broken. So in a way, that was the immediate juncture where those ideas just went completely away. Mm. And that I realised as well, which shouldn't really have been realisation with hindsight, but... It's just about the members, you know. We exist because there are women who are sent to prison, mm-hmm. uh, who are criminalised unfairly, and their lives are very specific, and the needs that they have do morph, but that ultimately they are in those situations because we live in a very unfair society, and that all of the stories, all of the answers come from that core. Mm. Um, in terms of the transition of the company it has happened it was totally strategic but in some ways it was very organic at the same time that there are various little moments over the past say four years that meant it was sort of massively calling out for it to shift Mm -hmm. you know Um, moments where members were on stage with other companies being brilliant and going, hold on a second, we don't do that, you know. Mm-hmm. But also where we were bringing in artists, more artists, to the education programme and moments like with Stacey Gregg. So Stacey and Stacey Gregg and Deborah Pearson are the pair who have created, along with four of our members, Inside Bitch. Mm-hmm. And that was in motion because Stacey hit a wall and went... Oh my God, I've been a writer in residence here. We brought her to Belfast, we're over here, over there. And just went, I can't tell this story fictionally. I don't want to tell it on mm. my own. This is not, I don't want to do that thing. And she wasn't the only one that in some way was just going, I'm a writer here, but I don't know how to do it. And it's really important that you don't approach those voices in a, in a slightly colonial way, mm. right? It's really important that they have their own agency within the stories. Yeah, of course. And that's a big part of what we're looking at moving forward. Interestingly, though, however, Mm -hmm. we were talking to the founders the other day and they pinpointed a point, it was 10 years into being Clean Break, where um, it wasn't actually them because they had moved on, but it was the moment when professional artists started to come in. Mm -hmm. And the comment from one of our founders was, it was Bryony Lavery was the first one, she wrote this brilliant play Mm -hmm. called Wicked. 1990 and the comment from one of our founders was if it hadn't happened we wouldn't have survived or we wouldn't have what was it Anna, that 
I don't know, but a real sense that that... And actually, what they also said was that from the very start, there had always been, actually, even though the, the stories were written by the, the, the artists with that lived experience, but they'd always, they had engaged with professional theatre makers as directors and actors and stuff as well in the mix. But it was that there was a real drive for... They, for survival, mm. company survival. The sense of professionalisation. Yeah. yeah. Which combined with the art, that it wasn't just about having a head of development or yeah. whatever that thing is. Mm. It was about access as well. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, that's a big thing in terms of us being able to produce more as well and something I'm really interested in that, say this book, which is, by the way, just such a tiny slice. Like, there's another proper book by an academic. This book exists for performers who love brilliant plays, yeah. you know? But in, in some ways, it's a tiny nod to the impact that Clean Break has had on artists, actually, more than anything else, but hopefully as well on the theatre industry. Mm. And I think that that's something that we... that combines a lot of the ambitions of the current structure and Fana and I leading, is that whether that is about finding pathways for a particular individual who is interested in becoming an actor and has, maybe we help them to get training, maybe we, whatever we do with that person, that is about access as well mm. and about that industry that for so long has closed doors to people. So similarly though, who gets to be on stage and who owns that voice is, is a really interesting challenge for us and it's a central question really about the outside in. Yeah, and I, and I guess, because, because I think with the proliferation of kind of contemporary performance practice, which takes much more the personal voice, yeah. the, like, the, the author is much more able to acknowledge their own voice in, yeah. in, in, in the pieces. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, I feel like that sense of ownership is much more acceptable. Invisible inverted commas. Yeah. This is a podcast. You can't see my fingers, but they're there. Um, <laughs> She's flashing them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it, yeah, it seems it, it seems just much more done to to yeah. stand up and say this is my story yeah. now. Yeah, than I mean, it was ten years ago. I still love a bit of pretend, you know, yeah, yeah. like big time. So it is about for us a diversity of form, but yes, big time. That it's not just about being able to pretend brilliantly. It's about being able to make art out of autobiography, you know. Mm. And, the, and it feels really important because those, because at the same, there is, that debate is out there about who, who's still, I mean, it's who always been right here, who, who has the right to speak, whose voices mm. aren't we listening to, whose voices aren't we hearing, and that's so at the heart of, of, of Clean Brave that it feels the right moment mm -hmm. for us, it feels exciting, it feels that there's, that we, we can have that conversation externally as well as having it internally constantly. It is a, it's a theatre-wide conversation that we really have something to contribute to, that the, that the women have something, that our members have something really significant to contribute to. So it feels important. And I think, yeah, I think that, that sort of just like crunchiness around who owns a voice. Because I, I, make, I make pretend work and I make autobiographical work. And uh, I get really, really pissed off when I see pretend work where someone is pretending to have a version of my voice badly. Drives me crazy. I once, yeah, I mean, I go on about it all the time, but I once saw something set in the Midlands where they used a really specific dialogue word for a kind of bread roll and then produced Wonder Bread sandwiches. And I was like, no, I hate you, you just lost me, darling. Um, but at the same time, I think it's really important that we allow people to pretend, to pretend and make those leaps of imagination. 
using your pretend winner, mm. um, those leaps of imagination, because that's how we find empathy. Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and those totally. things have to exist yeah. side by side. Yeah, and those brilliant structures, whether it is to elicit catharsis or, yeah, to explore the peaks of comedy, they exist and are ancient for many, many reasons. It's just that it's about who then... Does there have to be a protagonist? What does that look like? Who is central to it? Is it those questions within that forum that are exciting as well? Mm. And also the theatre makers. It's just about the theatre makers, that the rich material of life, it might not be autobiographical, but that the women's rich material of life is absolutely essential for the theatre making that we want to embark on and then being having some agency in that process it certainly isn't about us saying you know autobiography is kind of um we want to explore where it lives and where it lives also in quite a difficult uh, in uh, the autobiography of a lot of of, of our members is mm. pretty tough and painful and we're also really a trauma-informed space and spend a lot of time looking at at how we explore those issues safely and use theatre to do that at all and fiction and distance is all part, part of that so and um, so just because I'm conscious that because you talk about members and yeah. not everyone listening will know mm. what the definition of yeah. that is could you just define what a clean break member is for so us? a clean break member is someone who is a woman with lived experience of the criminal justice system or someone at risk of offending mm-hmm. who engages with us on our in at our studios in Kentish Town and takes part in our programme, theatre-making programme and offer for women. So it's not all the women we engage with because we work in prisons and we work in women's centres and run Mm. theatre-making projects there, but it's women who come and take part on site. You're sort of part of the ensemble almost. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, And you can be a member having not taken a course here for five years for instance mm. yeah or having gone to drama school for three years post year whatever yeah. that thing looks like you know yeah and there's training and all sorts of exciting things can anyone can anyone become a member who has ex- like how, what are the roots in so they, they there's there's something that's significantly changed mm. through the restructure, but they still are about women coming into contact with us in prisons. I mean, it's London-based because this is where our headquarters mm-hmm. are, so that it's largely about women who are released into London, women on probation. We do a lot of outreach. We work in, in women's settings. We work in drug and alcohol settings. We have a lot of referral partners, and then there are moments in the year where we open, where we do a kind of call out for new members to come and join and take part in in the activity. So there are definite uh, kind of entry access points. entry points, but and and we pay for travel and we pay for childcare and we provide hot food. So we, you know, the barriers that mm. stop people from being able to access and participate in the arts. We yeah, um, we invest in making sure that those aren't barriers here. There's an, I'm conscious of a real kind of dichotomy in the, in the dialogue around theatre and the arts because there's this sense of um, art that's for change and art that's for its own sake. And I'm really, I, even in, as someone who makes both of those things, I'm even conscious of it sometimes in the way I talk about the work that I make. Um, and yet, what seems really clear from talking to you is that it's that doesn't that shouldn't mm. exist here. That doesn't exist no, for you. I mean, mm. just if I think great art does all of that, 
I suppose the sweet spot is somewhere where you're combining entertainment, provocation and enlightenment. Mm. But to think that those two things are divided is just, yeah, very far from, well, my personal ambition as a theatre maker, but also I don't want to sit in a theatre and look at either or something that in, an, in its extreme is agitprop or... Mm. In, 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 in the other end of the spectrum is, let's say, vaudevillian or, you know, um, it's just not interesting. And I think, well, I think we're way beyond it. I think there's brilliant examples beyond Clean Break that do all of those things, mm. you know. And I think about, oh, there are loads of examples. What have I just seen? Um, at the Young Vic, The Convert, mm-hmm. you know, again, let's pretend is a very, very conventional piece. Mm. but quite revolutionary in its core and in the slice and the lens in which it was looking at. That, for me, is brilliant. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because in the th- th- kind of arts in criminal justice field, the instrumental use of the arts has always been, has been where funding lies, has been where mm. partnerships lie because prison governors are interested in yeah. the instrumental use of <laughs> yes. art. You know, so yes. which, what can you do for what us? What can you do? What are yeah. the outcomes? So from from my perspective, I've often been, articul- been finding ways and having to find the language that articulates that instrument. So we're, you know, we're going in to make theatre because theatre does this, this and this and this. And you know, it will reduce the offending, it can uh, build health and well-being, it will lead to employability. It's mm. always been about that. And actually, it's really refreshing to not be about that, to, like when we dis, kind of, in a way, just discard it. Not that, that ambition is in there and those values are in there and those, it, that, that impact is in there, but actually we're talking about creating beautiful work and um, that's really freeing. Is the difference between making work only for and with participants and making work for audiences that may include participants or not? I guess it's, for me, it's about audience versus participants yeah. that divide you know and yeah. I think again in terms of the real aim is finding a way that both get an electric experience mm-hmm. in terms of clean break yeah but you know we are talking about doing that in loads of different ways so say looking at inside bitch is quite averse in terms of that ownership and in terms of that voice mm-hmm. being center stage you know mm-hmm. It's devised, it's conceived with, you know. We have, for instance, another project that is a play with songs Mm -hmm. and part of commissioning that, it's at the core, like in terms of theme, in terms of the heart of the piece, it's it's a totally clean break story. But one of the thoughts behind that was ensuring that it would be possible to have members in an integrated cast on that stage. So we know that we've got members, for example, who are stellar musicians Mm-hmm. and it's about finding means of playing to strengths as well as then looking at something like that is working with a professional artist who's only interested in working with non-professionals mm-hmm. that's a whole other offer again mm-hmm. and so part of the kind of excitement from my perspective with regard to these next few years of clean break is about diversity of output mm-hmm. it's about really shaking that up mm-hmm. you know yeah and thus really questioning that power and that ownership but also talking to people differently every single time and finding more to, to engage with. Mm-hmm. And all of finding all of the right registers. Yeah. For all of those. Things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how do you? Um, because because it is super easy to fund instrumental. Well, mm. easy. 
It's yes. easier <laughs> to fund instrument art with yeah. a tier instrumentalist yeah. uh, intention. Yeah. Um, how do we express because that that art isn't intrinsically more valuable? We're just less good, I think, as a as a, an ecology mm. expressing the value of non directly instrumentalist art. Mm. How do you express the value of that? Have you figured it out? Yeah, I'm just hoping you might. Have I think that that might be why this model has forced its ownership really into the organisation because we would have valued it equally as an organisation clean break, you know, but actually it wasn't being valued externally. In Not that economically. Way. Oh, the economics of it. Well, that's shifted as well, you know, in mm. terms of statutory support. That has had a really negative impact on learning. Mm. But hang on, that's moving away from it. How do you place the value? Yeah, I mean, I can rephrase the question if you yeah, want, because I rambled a lot. Um, mm. So I think that we're really good at placing a financial value yeah. on the instrumental results oh, yes, of okay. art. Yeah. We are completely incapable of placing, because, because we don't in this society have a way of talking about value that isn't monetary. Yeah. Um, it's really difficult to talk about what the benefit of not necessarily directly instrumentalist mm. art is. Yeah. You, know, you, you know, you feel happier and that makes you better in your mm. life and your family are happier and you're better at work mm. and everything's great, yeah. but you can't quantify it in the same way. Yeah. You can't say this is the equivalent to, uh, this will save you £40,000 in yeah. reoffending. Yeah, literacy increases yeah. and, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, how tragic, isn't it, really, in some ways, that that language isn't just at our fingertips, because that is about mm. commerce, ultimately. Yeah. But it, it's interesting, because it, it makes me... Because we've honed our theory of change and what our, what our work is about and what our imprint we want on the world to be, and the kind of excellence of the work and the the theatre that we want to create is about it being you know is a way in a way is its instrumental value because again our mission is about change our you know the the, the process of so i think yeah so it's uh, a really positive outcome right of watching say thick as thieves the co-production we just did with theatre club would be hopefully that somebody goes and gets a train back from theatre club or wherever it was and just thinks more kindly about the person beside them who is having is having some sort of anger induced fit or is I don't know what's happening, right? How do you quantify that? So is it, you know that we're increasing empathy yeah. by exploring the potential in the background of yeah. other people, just mm. going, Hold on a second, chill out before you judge your neighbour, just that sounded very holy. I didn't mean it to be no, I literally meant the guy yeah. upstairs, you know. How do you quantify that impact about well, audiences? Like well, that's that's the journey that we're embarking on. Is how do we understand our impact on audiences? And we're looking at being able to, but that. No, but you can't, can you? Not well, that. but you can. You can. You can. You can find ways of doing that. I think. I don't think we do that successfully. But there are all sorts of we don't. That there are better ways of looking at, um, at, at tracking impact and looking at kind of nudge theory and behaviour change theory that can do that we're not applying them right now because all we do is look at 
um, postcodes, post, postcodes <laughs> who our audience is, who we're reaching, and then, a, a, you know, some audience surveys. So, so this is super interesting because that's what we're all being, in that, yes, in that, indeed, in that quantitative data good. collection that yeah. we all have to do, actually what we should be measuring really is em- impact on empathy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, and and they, and that is measured. I mean, I don't know if arts organisations can measure it, but there are people. Yeah. Did you see that study recently about how people engage with uh, homeless people based on what, yeah. what they have? So there are all sorts of. Um, I can't even remember what book that I read about this. In I think it's Moral Tribes by Joshua Green, and he talks about how um, people's response to a difficult person in a corridor, for example is different based on what they've experienced immediately encountering that person. Um, and just in the last two weeks, in the, uh, I, I read about a study um, that looked at how our brains interact with homeless people on the street, how our brains mm-hmm. function to allow us to dehumanise them and walk past, yeah. rather than being absolutely crippled by mm-hmm. the suffering that we see all the time. Um, and that's a thing that we've evolved, because to stop us being perpetually crippled, but it's also really... Awful. Mm. Yeah. Um, so if we know how to do that, we can. We must be able to measure. But that is instrumental. Impact. That, yeah. that is then what we're measuring, which is what I'm saying. It's like everything bound but up. But we only count we... the things that are easy to measure. Maybe that's my well, point. Okay, but there's still. It's still about saying. It's. It's still finding the value is always in a way is an instrumental process, mm. isn't it? Because yeah. yeah, yeah. by the very nature, you're saying. Yes, if you're talking about value, there's an output. You're right. There's an output. But I do think it's really interesting to do that, though, and I'm really keen on on us looking at working with partners who are examining audit. There are lots of universities that we've started those conversations Mm. with about how... Yeah, but wouldn't it be great if we just thought from a society that just valued this because intrinsically, implicitly, historically, we know it's better. It's better if kids can play music than play... Yeah, you know, shoot, shoot games, whatever. It's that anyway. Yeah. It's great that it's possible that there's ways because of doing it. But I'm like, this is a fight. Imagine that fight. Exactly. Yeah. There are definitely examples of society where it was just valued more as a given. You know, yeah. that the arts was essential for processing. Mm. That was one of the few things that and the Irish Republic was good at. And often when people, yeah, that's we're getting into because. <laughs> People who don't have, when there's no audience, mm. that is what the um, you know, artists who make art not for an audience is part of that world of kind of the process of making or just of, of art being part of it. But as soon as, but we live in, yeah, we're going into... No, I'm saying that as soon as we live, we live in a capitalist society, we mon- everything is about, and we're prioritising and funding and resourcing and Everything is, is um, well, you want art for art's sake. Well, I want. I believe that all the intrinsic value in it is has value for society. Absolutely. So I believe all the, the you know the, the creation of it, the observation of it, the participation of it, um, that there are intrinsic benefits to it. But I think we don't live in a time and a place where you you're not having to measure those things and. Uh, argue for them and certainly not in a subsidised no. world um, no, although maybe, yeah. I was listening to uh, Only Artists on Radio 4 this mm. week, last week yes. at some point um, and 
maybe I've just framed a question and I've realised in framing the question that I don't believe in the premise of my own question because one of the artists on the last episode of Owning Artists was, uh, was saying that he paints and it's just for beauty. There is no message in there. It's just for beauty. And I'm, I sort of want to call bullshit on that because mm-hmm. the choice of painting only for beauty is in itself in dialogue with a world where that isn't the case and then what does that mean? Mm-hmm. So there is all, there's always a message, right, in anything you... And he's like, I'm not communicating anything. And it's like, well, you just... I don't, I so, so don't you want believe to share that. his work? Does yeah. Because as soon as you're sharing your work... Then what you're communicating is the experience of beauty, yeah. if nothing else. Yeah. And then... But I suppose maybe what he's saying, he do, he's not responsible for how people... In, he doesn't want to be responsible for how people make meaning of that. Mm. So my interpretation of that beauty might be... That he's he's make, he's commenting on the 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 lack of beauty or something in the world, and but he maybe has what wants to take, not to take account of that. Yeah, I mean, and, and on reflection, I mean, this is a massive sidetrack, but on reflection, it felt like there was an implicit hierarchy, and by saying mm-hmm. I don't do messages, mm-hmm. what he meant is I'm a real artist. Mm-hmm. I can't remember who he is. Perfectly nice bloke. Sorry, if you're listening. Let's see if he's on there. He's like, that's wicked. Let's imagine. We could just look him up tonight. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but so this, this sense of... I mean, because I feel like there is a sense of hierarchy that's directly related to how uh, how vocally instrumental art is. Mm. Even if... And depending on where you are in it, how the hierarchy inverts itself, right? Um, I'm just really curious. Yeah. I, I, I think that is fascinating. I just watched... Have you seen Roma? No, seen no. that film the um god who is it it was in you know his new film right and it's it's really beautiful i think it's up for an oscar not as a foreign language something like that anyway he um said that he wanted to look at times 1971 in mexico where there were, were these riots but the film is not really about that at all and it's just a challenge around looking at work which I used to do a lot of film wise mm. that isn't there's a very clear narrative within it but actually it isn't bound by the dramaturgy that we drill into a lot of the theatre that I watch mm-hmm. and that is definitely in every Netflix series superb or otherwise that I see apart from maybe sex education because the dramaturgy and that's fascinating mm. oh yes screen. is it well yeah. you're a fan mm. of that yeah, yeah no, I am yeah, yeah. Oh, have a look. I haven't seen it. <laughs> but it was just a moment of watching something where um, I wondered about it's not actually hitting that peak place of making art because I just want to express myself up at the very top if mm. we're talking about that hierarchy. But it did definitely leave the place which had to have meaning or made sense or had clarity. Because mm-hmm. what he's looking at is something more metaphorical is reaching for illusion is just about I think we've lost some of that in Mm -hmm. our bind to worth and translation Mm -hmm. and it is not great in terms of what it's doing to British theatre our logical return mind which is really really infiltrated so much of how we live Mm -hmm. is wrecking art in lots of ways Mm -hmm. and actually is reducing it to something that's way too earthbound, you know? Yeah, there's, did you watch the Hannibal series with Hugh Dancy? No, I didn't. 
and Mads Mikkelsen. Glorious, just if only because they're both beautiful. Um, uh, yeah, it, it looks like a sort of a, a naturalistic, realist crime drama. Um, and then there is a, an entirely abstract, il- illusion-based narrative that essentially informs us about the, the mental state of one of the protagonists. Mm. And it's entirely non-literal and very mm. symbolic, and it refers to symbols that we're not necessarily familiar with from daily life. And it's bloody brilliant, and it's just this tiny thing that feels so revolutionary. Mm. Um, because we don't, and we don't, it's rare that we see that in theatre. It is rare. In theatre. The AO has a little bit more of that reach in It is interesting, because just... I mean, Clean Break is absolutely got a social mission, so we're talking a little bit ethereal, yeah, yeah. but actually, you know, yeah. I just want to own and believe that that sense of social purpose and change mm-hmm. and changing hearts and minds and also changing systems and challenging systems and challenging constructs is really at the heart of, of, of the company. Um, so then my next question <laughs> on my little list yes. was... Um, uh, yeah, what what do you think theatre's for and why are you doing this? And that can be... You can choose how you want to answer that. You can answer it as individuals or collectively for the company, or both. Because they might be different. I mean... Like, if you want to change the world, why theatre, man? Why didn't you become a lawyer? Well, well I, from a personal point of view, I... I wanted to be as a, as my originally I wanted to be a psychologist. I was interested mm. in human behaviour, and I was interested in in in. in I was more interested in empathy and people and individuals. But I also lacked confidence as a young person. I also found drama and found it really fulfilling and enabling, and and I loved it. And I could never move. Uh, there's been various points in my career where I've kind of thought. Actually, I should just do. I should do drama therapy. I should train as a psychologist. I should do this. But actually, the joy of theatre is what has kept me in theatre. The fact that I love seeing it and I love making it and being part of it. So, just in a very personal way, doing something that brings joy in my life, alongside feeling it's a, a way of achieving a mission. It's a, achieving something that I believe wholeheartedly in. That that. It is the joy of it that is a bit harder when you're a crime, you're a defence lawyer to find, isn't yeah. it? You might feel... But sometimes equally, sorry, to, yeah, sometimes yeah. equally I'm uh, really... Um, I find it really debilitating and frustrating that practically there is such great need and I'm not involved in achieving that need, mm. you know, in, in fulfilling that need because I'm involved in making theatre. And sometimes I think, God, I need to just go out and do something. Yeah. And, you know, I need to go out and protest and I need to go out and be part of some direct action because sometimes it feels that making theatre is irrelevant. And I know a lot of theatre makers who, especially in the last two years, feel like that. Like, I should, I should, you know, I'm an intelligent, talented person. I could apply my power better elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah, It's it's not straightforward, is it? It's, yeah. Mm -hmm. What about you? Why do you do this, Rasheen? I think I was quite lucky growing up. I was brought to the theatre a lot. Mm. Um... I was very confident always, but I was also really emotional, and I didn't quite know where to put a lot of it. And I just sit in the dark and feel better for just not even seeing myself up there. I had this auntie called Liza, who's still alive, who's brilliant, and she used to bring me... She was single, and I think I was her, like, date, and she'd bring me to the theatre, but probably... 
It wasn't that it was inappropriate, but I'd go and see really adult stuff when I was 13, 14, 15, mm. you know. And it just really transformed where I placed those emotions. It made me feel part of something, even though there were no kids on the stage or mm. even young people. It wasn't that. It was about realising that there's a universality to things. Mm. And I do really feel strongly now that, particularly when it's about making work and leading, directing plays, directing pieces, creating work and engaging with an audience, that there is something in that offer to a room, to a community in that moment that is really rare contemporarily. And I hope, I do really believe in the beauty of transcendence in that regard, mm -hmm. that whether it is transcending um, your lack of belief in what's being pretended up there, or your capacity to expand and to believe and to be more compassionate about people around you, people you're watching on stage and through that society. I do, I do genuinely believe that stories are the most potent tool and bringing them alive is a best transformative for audiences. And I, I love being part of that. Mm. I also can just still really adore being an audience member in something exceptional. And for me, exceptional work is stuff that does transcend a bit. And um, occasionally, you know, I think everyone's had them or keeps on having them around in the moment of going, oh, what's the fucking point of doing this? When there's all those people in Calais, for instance, mm. that was a moment for me. Or there's always, you know, other things happen and you think, what's the point? But having been a clean break, one of the things that has come to me is, this is quite extreme, but I do go into my imagination quite a lot around what would happen if, if I was in Calais, for instance, mm. or if this country, if I became a refugee, you know, what, or if we were displaced, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm not a doctor, I can't offer those skills, but there's something about working a clean break that I think that I believe more in the intrinsic skills, the offer of theatre mm -hmm. to not just audiences, but to communities that has affirmed my belief in the need for it. That I'd help people understand where they are through theatre if I was in the jungle, for instance. Yeah. Yeah. And that has given me some hope or in renewed faith in it in the moments where I go. What's the point? So my very last question. If you... if you, When you go from this place and you can choose to... choose define that as this astral plane or this particular company as you see fit um, when you go from this place what would you like to leave changed wow <laughs> that's, the, that's the big one I'm just going to make it about leaving clean break because okay. otherwise you'll have me crying huge, or something yeah. and also I feel like oh I'm not there yet even though it's something I wish I did have an answer because I think there's a flaw in me not having one anyway um, this is really earthbound from your astral plane but I would love to hand over these reins um, and give that person or those people um, an organisation that has many more choices in terms of the theatre industry mm -hmm. so that there'd be more people knocking on our door trying to collaborate with us 
um, i.e. that we'll have the invitation to talk to more people because we'll have reached so many people with our stories. I just don't know if it's going to happen, but I would love to really believe that having created the work that we've created, that something systematic has changed. Like, there's this constant thing around women who are sent to prison that prisons shouldn't exist and that there should be more help in communities and it's like way, way predates my time at Clean Break. And I just, I don't know, I'm not, when I, even when I articulate it, it frightens me that it mightn't have that impact, but it's so necessary. Yeah, I suppose I think the in terms of an answer, my absolute desire is, is that is <coughs> we have changed the landscape of women's experience of criminal justice, that women are no longer criminalised. That's absolutely what I want to be, part of the world I want to be. But I actually, but in answering it also, one of the, on a very day-to-day -day level, I, my interactions and what I hold true and the values of myself is that um, I am compassionate and care about other people with no without a personal gain mm -hmm. and constantly I want to reinforce to the women I work with here that there are people <laughs> who just care mm -hmm. about each other and who will endeavour to make things better because that's, what that's, that's, who, that's who I am and what I do and that some people's life experience undermines that that, 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 that that exists out there in the world and I just want to hold true to the fact that it does and I hold myself accountable to demonstrate that in every interaction I have every day with the women I work with. That's a very... I mean, well, that's pretty remarkable, I think. Being the, being the person that proves there's hope. Mm. That's yeah. pretty good. All right, I'm going to stop there. Is there. Wait, hang on. Is there anything that you feel like you want to say that you didn't get a chance to? No. Well, lots of things, <laughs> but no, no. I, well, I suppose only one thing, which is which is around legacy, which is and around people listening, is that absolutely our voices are also that 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 all our spaces moving forward, that the members' voices want we want them to be a part of that. So mm -hmm. every kind of, I'm, I'm I'm really conscious of 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 that in having moments of being heard where that I'm being heard as, as me and Rasheen leading a company but also mm. that constantly facilitating and enabling and creating space for other people's voices should be a part of that and we haven't really allowed for that today I suppose in mm -hmm. in, in how you centre other people's yeah. voices yeah hmm. well we did but we talked a little bit about it because of the just because of the shift yeah. in the focus of the work really and how that yeah. Is your yeah. dream that you leave here and you hand over the organisation yeah. to a member? Yeah. So, yeah. In a practical way that I'm not talking on behalf of it, yes. Not, yeah, absolutely. That's quite okay. practical, isn't it? Yeah. Do you want to say that loud and clear again for me? I, yes, that I think that the company needs to be... Um, that I'm doing everything, that they're working every single day to ensure well, it's what it should be. Yes, I'm, yeah. I'm trying to, 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 to have power to relinquish power. I have power to relinquish power, and that's 
Uh, podcast listeners cannot see the faces that, uh, that Anna's pulling. Okay, thank you so much for talking to me, guys. Pleasure. Thanks, Pleasure. Lydia. Thank you. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.